You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Peace world and welcome everybody to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard. Thank you so much for joining me today on this special episode that I found in my archives from the summer of 2020. That's right. This is all the way back in the pandemic times. I can't believe I found this, but it is back here. Uh, me and my friends, we used to do a different version of this podcast before we decided that we were going to transition more into interviews and conversations. We sat around during the pandemic and tried to find some things to talk about, and we ended up landing on Superman for one of these episodes. And we decided we were going to discuss this in great detail, talking about the differences between the movies Man of Steel and the 1976 Superman. So we really dive deep in this episode, but I wanted to give you an idea of some of the content that's going to be coming uh, within the next couple of weeks on this show. As we transitioned into the Premier Podcast Network, brought all of our episodes into the network, I wanted to try to give you more content, at least to try to do every week as much as I can, uh, but I think this is a really good idea, and we're going to start talking about a lot of different things, maybe comic books and nerd shit and all kinds of stuff that we want to, but this is, I think, a really good primer for that and some things that we can talk about later on in the future. But I want you to check this out here. This is me and my co-host, Greg Mead, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Uh, during the pandemic, a couple of show notes here as well. There's a couple spots where we cut out. Like I said, this was the summer of 2020. Uh, so the audio content is not going to be as great as I'm used to uh, providing you now. Uh, there's also some times where you're going to hear people cut out and cut in. Our microphones weren't great and the uh, connections weren't great because we were learning how to live in COVID times. So without further ado, here is originally this was episode 37 of Foundation Radio Oive Superman. And we will see you again next week. Holy crap, there aren't any fights in this whole movie. Also, it looks dumb when your Superman flies. New Superman looks totally awesome when he flies. Look, in 1978, these special effects were awesome, okay? And hey, at least my Superman didn't kill anyone. Actually, I really appreciated Cal's value for life being something he has to earn by being forced to take one. As a pantheon of American pulp culture, Superman should evolve to reflect society for what it is, not what we wish it was. Just get the f*** out of my booth. I found my headphones. Hey. I found hey. my headphones. Don't worry. Don't worry, everybody. Yeah. Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth, I'm glad you could join us today. I didn't, uh, yes, I wasn't I'm sure if you were going to make it. I'm, I'm glad, oh, to, glad to have you here. Dr. Ruth is teaching this summer and has no free time now, um, but I'm here. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to an, uh, another Tuesday morning with us. Uh, we are here. Uh, it is still the seventh level of Jumanji. Um, how is everyone feeling? Hot. I'm very yes. hot. Yes, it's oppressively hot. It is, and I've been stoking a fire most of this yeah, morning. So that's right. You're making brisket, right? I am making brisket. I can smell it. I can imagine the smell, and it smells delicioso. I do. You have to make that with yeah, with I mean, the hot fire. Can't can't you like can't you just like put that in the in the freezer? It won't cook if I put it in the freezer. Uh, okay, that that makes more sense. In a, <laughs> what? Hi, Greg. How's quarantine treating Hi. you, buddy? Are you okay? Clap twice if you're all right. <laughs> that was more than twice. He's gone insane. He's lost it, you guys. He's, he's officially blown a microchip. So oh, I'm, man, a little, 
I'm going to apologize right now off the. I'm going to apologize right now off the top here. Um, we are having our roof finally finished today. Uh, it is the painters will be here, and we have a plumber coming. And because of that, the kids can't be in the room, so we're trying to charge the iPad until they can get upstairs. So you may hear a little bit of background noise while we're talking today, but I will do my best to mitigate that and mute that as we are coming. I uh, just want to say thank you, everyone who's still listening and tuning into the show. We apologize. We know this isn't exactly what we imagined our summer shows being like. Uh, as far as recording quality and, and being together, but we appreciate you sticking through and enjoying this. Uh, Dr. Ruth, we definitely missed you last week with our talk about, uh, you know, uh, reboots and, and franchise movies. And uh, I know that you had a uh, a little bit, we talked a little bit in our group chat about Bridesmaids and, and how you were going to fist fight me, um, which let me just preface this by saying, Dr. Ruth, you could definitely take me in a fight. That is true. There's absolutely no dying it. But I wanted to just kind of get your opinion, and because you had a, you had a really good re- um, kind of rebuttal uh, for my um, sort of lack of understanding with with a film like Bridesmaids. Uh, what was it that you had you had mentioned to me? Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting because I was listening to it back, and I don't think any of you, and it kind of goes for the the female Ghostbusters reboot as well. Like I I totally respect when people just don't like something because it's not for them. But I think that the the key thing that was being a little bit lost, and you guys all acknowledged that maybe I should have been there to weigh in on this, was the um, it's the right. not for you component. Like part of what's so funny about Bridesmaids and why a lot of women like it is that a lot of the jokes are very reflective of. Um, uh, moments in real life friend groups we have had that maybe in like dynamics of friend groups that are mixed gender, um, those kinds of uh, interactions or, uh, you know, running things that happen or experiences aren't as prevalent. So it's like, it's like literally the humor isn't translating as well because it's not based in something you're experiencing in your life. And so what happens with comedies like Bridesmaids and to a certain extent, the the female Ghostbusters reboot is that um, whether or not it's written by a woman, this sometimes just comes through with female comedians. Like uh, the tone of the humor or some of the dynamics uh, get a little bit lost for audiences who aren't used to that being portrayed. Because so much of what was considered like quote unquote comedy for a very, very long time was what was funny to men and male comedians. So when you see that dynamic shift, like it's, it literally could be just like, oh, I, you know, I didn't really find this movie that funny. It really wasn't for me. And that's not untrue. You know, it, it has a different target audience than we're used to seeing with some of these big budget comedies. Um, and I think that, you know, for as much as we can set aside some of the most gross backlash against, say, Ghostbusters as being just like over the top misogyny, there is a definite like legitimate component of, well, maybe this like it, it is a different kind of humor than the original Ghostbusters. It has a different um, flavor to it. And yeah, maybe it isn't as funny to those people. I thought that movie was hilarious. I liked that they leaned into um, the sort of gay vibe with Kate McKinnon's character. Um you know, I, I dislike they didn't make that more explicit in the film, but they certainly like she's an openly gay actress. So they didn't shy away from that, like feeling to it, which I enjoyed. Um, and I, I I would disagree that the actresses were competing against each other for comedy, but that's a, that's a different conversation. Um, and everything with with uh, Chris Hemsworth in that movie was hilarious to me um, because it was such an interesting um, uh response to or sort of parody of how a lot of times uh in movies in the 70s and 80s the one woman in the ensemble cast would be portrayed they took it a little over the top but that's part of why it was so funny because it was so parodic but anyway that was my right right my it was more of the, 
it yeah, was more of the yeah the yeah the the rebuttal in a lot of ways for you know that that sort of stereotypical female lead you know that female character in the film who's just kind of there taking up space. I think yeah. I understood. I think I I think I appreciated that sort of nod to the th- those movies in that regard. That way, um, I I felt like that was one of the few things that I that I I sort of understood and 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 got. Um, but yeah, as far as I, I think that's definitely a, a great rebuttal. If you want to check out yeah, our I mean, entire, I, I hyperbolically said I would fight you, Adam, but also I kind of got it. I just felt that. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, it makes sense that you wouldn't find this as funny. But also that's like, that's acknowledging that like we can broaden the definition of comedy and that some co- big comedy films are not necessarily going to be trying to get the same kind of target audience as we are used to from big comedy films. And that's not a bad thing. Exactly. Right. And if you want to, if you know why, yeah, go ahead. All right, real quick. That's kind of why I did like bridesmaids because it sort of was one of those stupid male adventure uh, penis joke movies, but in a woman's perspective, not penis jokes, but vagina jokes. And oh it, yeah, or it the was, whole like bleached anus conversation yeah, in that movie yeah. killed me. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it was, it was a female rebuttal to The Hangover, or uh, I, I'm drawing a Euro Trip or something stupid like that. And it was just stupid humor. It was funny, but it was just. Hey, I know plenty of women who didn't really like it. It's not highbrow humor, yeah. right? Like it's a particular niche, but I know plenty of guys that didn't like hangover. I mean, okay. Not a lot because we're, we're baseline we're, creatures. We're but, literally dick know. and fart jokes. We're literally the walking yeah. dick and fart jokes, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they exist. So I, I can see how some, some women don't like bridesmaids. It, it makes sense. But not because it's an all woman cast because right. it's right. It's vagina and, I, and poop joke. Well, okay, I yeah, again, it's yeah. like it's the target audience thing. It's like who it's I, I really think it's important to acknowledge sometimes when you're watching a movie and you don't like it, that like you not liking it doesn't mean it's bad or evil or wrong or inherently terrible. It's just, OK, maybe this wasn't for me. And now I'm going to move right. on with my life. Which actually might transition us, Adam, into what else everyone wanted to talk about. Today. Right. Yes. And, and one thing I wanted to add on this real fast, I appreciate you you jumping in and, and giving us your analysis and feedback on this. And if you want to check out our episode on uh, the reboots that we just did uh, two weeks ago with our friend Dan Rank, you can go into our archives at foundationradio.net and check that all out there. Uh, again, surprisingly enough, uh, our Finland episode continues to, by leaps and bounds, be our most uh, popular episode. We are pushing very, very high plays on that, and it continues to get plays uh, every week, an average of 10 to 12 every week still. Uh, I just find that to be the most fascinating thing in the fucking planet, that that episode in particular continues to be uh, the the high roller here uh, in our creative club. What if we're a big name in Finland? That'd be great. Yes. You know what? And, that would actually be cool. Back, if you go back would in, be, to the archives, make sure to note that Adam has not seen Aquaman. So actually, I did. I did actually get a chance to watch it, and um, I disliked it just as much as I thought I was going to. I thought <laughs> it was amazing. dreadful. I thought it was dreadful. One film that I did not think was dreadful, however, and has been the topic of conversation, and is our topic today, uh, is Man of Steel. And the, uh, the presentation, the presentation... Uh, and uh, film, actually more so film presentation uh, of Superman. So the four, the I mean, two movies that we're going to explore quick, today. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. I just got to say, Kevin Costner doesn't sign on to dog shit, okay? Well, wait, well, we'll get there. We'll the get there. Man. We'll get there. Let's wait. Let's, we'll shit. get there. Not we'll dog get shit. There. We're, de- we're devolving into that right now, Jeff. It's we'll happening. get there. He predicted Guys, it. we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's right. back up. We'll get, get there. Gun. So excited. Waterworld. Now. Now. 
the two movies we're going to two movies we're going to explore today because there's a lot to cover when you talk about Superman, right? You could talk about the comics, you can talk about the television show, you can talk about pretty much anything. But I wanted to stick to two films today because there's been a point of contention between the four of us regarding the 1978 film Superman and the uh, the original jump off movie for the DC uh, Universe movie, uh, the 2013 film Man of Steel. Uh, there's been some conversation between the the group of us about the merits of each film, and I just kind of wanted to briefly talk about each of those movies and really explore them and, and discuss the merits. And I think the biggest question that we're going to try to answer before the end of this episode is, can these two films coexist together uh, in a world and be viewed in sort of the same lens? Um, so uh, first, let's jump into the 1978 film with Superman starring Christopher Reeve, uh, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando, who's in the movie for about 10 minutes, who somehow got top billing. Um, and the story is actually, surprisingly enough, written by Mario Puzo, who is uh, famously known for writing The Godfather, which I found fascinating because I found this movie to be a slog of a film. Oh, I'm going to be joining Jeff here, I think, based on what I've heard. I this is my favorite screen portrayal of Superman. I love it. I I kind of love the slow pace. I mean, maybe this is not a surprise because as listeners of this podcast know about me traditionally, my favorite Batman portrayal on screen is the 1960s Adam West version. Um, in terms of we've we've established that Kevin Conroy is the, the greatest Batman. However, in terms of like the tone and what I enjoy about watching on screen, like that Batman hits all my buttons. And I think maybe maybe I just like older portrayals of superheroes. I'm not sure. Like my, I th this is the definitive Superman for me. It's it's the best. I would film. argue that it is absolutely the definitive Superman because it it's so complex and there's so much that goes into it. And Richard Donner is a genius for being able to take on that subject and do it in a way that translates both the history of Superman. And to a way of sort of how Tim Burton kind of redefined Batman in 1989, Superman is completely redefined in a sense of how he can fit into the world and still be a period piece. Because that's what's really important to understand about Superman is Superman cannot be modernized in the way that Man of Steel tried. Well, let's let me let me back up a little bit because I wanted to talk about this too. I, I do want to I do want to give it some points somewhere. Um, you know, I thought that for its time, I, again, you have to look at all at both of these films in a vacuum, right? You can't. I, I don't want to sit and talk about these movies and compare the two of them together as far as special effects or you know some of the the prevailing themes that are running through the movie because obviously they exist sort of independent of each other at their specific times, right? The things that they're talking about in '78 are not going to be things that they're talking about in '13 when they make these movies. But I thought for its time frame and I thought for for the resources that they had for the 1978 movie. I thought they did a really nice job with their special effects as cheesy as it might be to somebody viewing it now in the lens of 2020. And you're like, holy shit, look at how bad that looks for its time. It's a lot like star Wars, you know, at the 1977, you know, people hadn't done things like this before. And I, I, and I, I do have to give it props for that. And to be completely honest, Christopher Reeve will always be my favorite Superman. There's just something about the guy. He's magnetic. He's, he's captivating. Um, but one of my biggest criticisms about the movie is that it's so fucking long do we need an entire film because i mean superman in 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 context right everyone knows who this character is he's the the red white and blue boy scout he's the 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 savior of you know he's the allegory to jesus christ in our in our uh, modern day uh, storytelling 
Oh man. No. Okay. See, I think this is where our point of contention is. I do not think that's who the character is at all. Okay. Well, well, let's, well, 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 let's put a pin yeah. in that. Let's put a pin in that. And we'll come back to it. Cause I do want to explore that. I really do. Um, but I think the movie, then this movie in itself was almost three hours long. You could easily tell a story like this. And, and again, that's kind of my gripe with man of steel too. It's like, Jesus Christ, get on with it. You can easily condense these movies to an hour 45 tops. You don't need to slog through all this backstory because everybody knows who Superman is. Everybody knows that backstory. Though, everybody Adam, knows is invested in this movie. I Honestly, Adam, but that's a complaint you can okay. make about most superhero movies. That's, that's that was my thing. main thing, is right. that we don't need fucking origin stories for every goddamn superhero now. We know it. Right. Just get on with the fucking story. I, 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 I absolutely disagree with that, because if the target audience is to try to bring people into this, then you do need to bring up the origins, because you are going to have kids who go to these movies for the first time and may not know Superman. They may not know Batman. They may not know Aquaman. Like It, it is okay that well, also, you do this. Also, talk about context. In 1978, absolutely, yes, you did. Have to have, have, to make that an origin story. Yeah, sure. Like, that's, that's the I, first Superman movie. So you need it. I, I mean, yeah, but the, I, I don't know. There was something about it. It was just, it just felt at pandering at certain points, the way I watched it and the way I was looking at it. And again, I didn't go into either of these movies looking at, looking for something to shit on, right? I didn't go into either of these movies and being like, ah, you know, I'm really going to hate Man of Steel or I'm really going to hate Superman because as a child, I loved the original Superman. I, the original Superman movies were a huge component of my childhood, even something as dreadful as Superman three. But I loved this movie as a child and going back and viewing it now, one of the big questions that I came away with is, is the idea that we view this lens, view this movie with, do you think we view this movie with rose colored glasses because it's Superman and because we've built this idea about the film instead of going back and taking a really good look at it? I want, I kind of want to pick all of your brains about that. Do you think it's because it is in its merits and in everything it has a good film, or do you think that it was, you know, just a product of its time? And we have this imaginary idea that we're, we're putting it up on a pedestal. I don't think we're putting it up on a pedestal at all. Oh, see, I was about to say, I think I absolutely am, but I'm okay with that. Like, I'm I okay with this are. analogy. Matt. Go ahead, let's go down. Let's go down the line here. I want to, let's start with, let's start with Greg and we'll go to Jeff and we'll go to Dr. Ruth. Cause I want to hear every, cause it sounds like each of you has a different opinion on it. So I kind of want to hear what each of your thoughts are. I think that some people do put it up on a pedestal, some people don't, but then other people automatically mean anything new because it's not the original. Automatically, before they even see it, they say that's bad because it's not the original. And so it's I not that they put the original up on a pedestal, they just shit all over new stuff because it's not the original. Jeff, go ahead, your thoughts. Um, I don't think it's putting it up on a pedestal. I think that it honestly is one of the most remarkable films ever made. Um, for just to be able to have that kind of key first superhero movie, and it's sort of setting a standard that's going to get broken in 1989 with Tim Burton's Batman. I also genuinely think that it is a compelling character story that is really, it hasn't been reached in the same way of that movie um i do not here's the thing i do not like superman as a character but that movie makes me understand why people do that's what's so 
great about it. And being a comic book fan and being able to look at the mythos of a particular character and seeing its portrayal, I mean, I don't think anybody here can argue that Christopher Reeves doesn't give it his all. Like, he is an incredible Superman, but an even better Clark Kent. And it really captures something that is so integral to the Superman mythos, which is that he is not a Christ figure. He's an immigrant figure. Uh, specifically, he's he's Jewish. He's the Ubermensch. And honestly, it, 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 it picks up the fact that Superman is a vacuum character. Superman is not relevant to today, uh, which is why he was so popular in the 30s through the 60s. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that. And I, Wait, I, is- I genuinely love that movie because it it encapsulates so many parts of that history of the character both how he was created and then his personal history so well wait jeff with with the uh clark kent is jew is clark kent jewish no clark are you just like uh, making that comparison superman is jewish but Clark Superman Kent, is a Jewish so, character. I'm on Jeff's side about this. He's a so fundamental. Um, Jewish that's, a, that's a question that I'm asking. I'm not like right. Well, well let's. I was let's curious, like, I mean, it's, it's not in the. It's, it's a good the, question, Greg, because it's not in the narrative, right? I think it's, yeah. like, but it's in the way he's constructed as a character. Well, let's. Gotcha. let's I was curious. Were the Kents celebrating Hanukkah? No, it's just that the right. comparisons to Jewish. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So there is when yeah. the, when the 1978 movie come, came out, and then I'll jump back into you, Ruth, because I just wanted to make sure we talked. We jumped on this now since we're talking about it, but. There is a kind of this fight back and forth between whether or not, you know, Superman represents, you know, a, a Jewish figure or, uh, you know, Jesus. Uh, there is a, you know, there's 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 been some conversation about this. Um, there is actually a book um, called Up, Up and Oy Vey, uh, How Jewish History, Culture and Values Shape the Comic Book Superhero. Uh, mm-hmm. They make the argument that uh, he is a bumbling, nebbish Jewish stereotype, basically calling the character Woody Allen. Uh, whereas um, there is a, a a large segment of the uh, Catholic and Christian world who view Martha Kent as the Virgin Mary and view, uh, you know, Kel L. Clark Kent as the you know second coming of God, and he comes to he sends him to Earth to save the the species because he is their protector, and he knows you know there's so the, there there's an that argument. Is such, oh, I'm sorry, that is such a weird and appropriative interpretation of that character that is such a stretch that i'm like baffled i'm actually i'm not baffled it exists of course somebody made that interpretation but like up up oive is not a good analysis of uh, (laughs) jewish values in okay from krakow to krypton is so if you yeah i mean like i said i'm just i'm literally just pulling stuff offline I'm, i'm just referencing this as we're as we're talking about it but um, I'm curious, Doctor. Why, why do you? Why do you alone? I think up, up, and Oive is a little bit more caricature, if I'm imagining correctly. And from Krakow to Krypton, that seems more compelling and just a well thought out title instead of up, up, and Oive. It's also a better historical analysis of comic books. Uh, right. yeah, his history of history of comics is a fascinating field, and uh, I would also like to second the rec for um, from Krakow to Krypton. It's a good book. Like I said, I'm just I'm literally just pulling offline. So if, if you if you're That's looking fine. for information for this book, uh, uh, we'll link it in the show notes for you. But um, the book Up Up Unoive was written by a rabbi named Simon Weinstein um, in 2006. So I'm just pulling. Like I said, I'm just pulling uh, clearly from the internet. So if that if that is wrong, I apologize. Um, but I'm curious, Doctor Ruth, what is your how do you I just I guess explain to me so I understand um, because when I originally I'll, I'll be honest when I watch the movies I I can I guess for me in my head in the way I because I, I, I haven't really been 
uh, I haven't studied the Torah, I guess, deep enough. What would you say? What would be the, your rebuttal to you know this Christ Superman sort of connection? Like why? Well, why? no, uh, Jeff is a better person to take that because I am not versed in uh, the Jewish values side of it, so he should go for that for sure. And you know, clarification: I work at the Holocaust Museum with Jeff. I am not Jewish. Um, I I know a lot of stuff, but not from a personal standpoint. Um, so but, I actually I actually teach this subject to my yeah. Hebrew school students every year. And uh, it's important to understand that because Superman is in a, in a vacuum, that the whole bumbling Clark Kent is making fun of Gentiles. It's his way of being able to fit in in a uh, fit in in a world full of humans, or a Jewish person fitting in in a world full of Gentiles. Uh, when the dream and the idea that Superman, that is the Jewish identity that is also mixed in as like Superman is American. He's as, you know, he's as American as apple pie. Well, a Jew can be the same thing. Uh, he's wearing his traditional Kryptonian garb, like, and nobody cares about it. They actually look up to him for it. That's supposed to be representing the Talus and the Kippah. He was also f created by two Jewish immigrants. And it, 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 the entire story of Superman is a Moses parable. The begin his beginning origins is that he is escaping destruction. He's found by a, a different family, brought up as one of them until he discovers his his true self and you know what he's supposed to be doing, who he really is as a Kryptonian. It mirrors exactly the story of Moses in the beginning. Superman and the the whole Christ parable is just Gentiles trying to reappropriate it. Yeah, and you know, actually, I would, I would, I would feel much more qualified to speak on the extent to which Superman is an immigrant figure, and I would, I would also argue it's, um, it's, it's aspirational and sort of non-realistic because, as Jeff said, it's about that i, it's an ideal. the The fantasy of Superman or the power fantasy of Superman to me is not, um, oh, what if you could be all powerful? You know, because that's kind of scary and dark if you think about it just in that light. But it's what if I was able to retain core parts of an identity that is trying to be subsumed and have power through that. And also the power fantasy is to a certain extent, what if someone who had all this power was genuinely a good person? And that is a fantasy, right? We, we don't see that ever reflected in reality or history. And I think that's why there's this idea of like, well, Superman's unrealistic. And my rebuttal would be, of course he is. That's kind of the point. Um, and I, and I, you know, to get I back to the I, question of, do yeah, I put the, I'll, is I'll, the I'll, first yeah. film is the first film something I put on a pedestal or is it genuinely good? I think I sit somewhere in the middle of Greg and Jeff because I I do agree with Greg that people um, can get so into deifying the first thing that did something or the one they loved originally that there's an unwillingness to um, in, even engage at all with reinterpretations or new ideas with the similar story. Um, but I would agree with Jeff that like you know you can you can have something on a pedestal in the sense of acknowledging how important and influential it was to a genre at the time and still is in like the history of how we now think about superhero movies and those structures and all that sort of stuff while still saying, okay, I get that, you know, we've moved on past that maybe. Right. But it's like, there's something still foundationally significant about the film. I think something foundationally significant about, the film absolutely and in an agreement, but there's something foundationally significant about that character that I think a lot of people, when they tackle it, miss, they miss the point. 
Well, I think when you explain it that way, when you're talking about more of the, you know, the, sort of the the allegory to to Moses, that way that makes way more sense. And and to be honest, I always kind of viewed Superman as the um, immigrant figure, you know, the big scary person that's coming in from somewhere else and trying to take over. Yeah, like that's that's sort of the way a sort of modern interpretation for me on my end. That's that's how I viewed it. But when you explain that to me and that in the in the idea of Moses as compared to Jesus, I thought that was a that's a to me that makes way more sense than you know. So I think yeah. I think the idea of Jesus being portrayed as uh, Superman, it is. I mean, it's kind of like it's almost like um, it's almost like superficial. You know, it's an easy, it's a low hanging fruit in a lot of ways. Whereas looking at it in the in the sense of Moses takes a way deeper um, uh, analysis, and I and I I actually I enjoyed that. But so so I wanted to just tie back to what Doctor Ruth was saying about um, Superman being this unrealistic character. I think for me. And now we'll we'll kind of bring in um, Man of Steel, which again is the 2013 film, uh, which is the jump off point for the DC uh, universe, the uh, cinematic universe, which uh, again has just been nothing but the drizzling shits. Um, it's just Superman in this movie is portrayed by Henry Cavill, um, uh, host of, of of amazing actors in both films. But I think that's what works so much for me about Man of Steel and why I feel like, and this can be another conversation for another day as far as, because I know we've kind of tied Batman into it, because realistically, you can't really have a conversation about Superman and not talk about Batman in some way. But I feel like uh, this particular movie worked so well for me because the character is so unrealistic. The original Superman, right? The George Reeves and the Boy Scout idea and, and Christopher Reeve and all this, this this sort of American apple pie, you know, yeehaw bullshit where it's just like, I'm the savior and I'm doing this and everything is great at the end. And it's like, that doesn't really speak to me anymore as it did. Maybe it did to me when I was five or six years old, but I, I my favorite films and my favorite things about entertainment and about art are when you can take an iconic character like Superman and make him dark. You can pull him down to the level of a Batman. You can pull him down to a darker level and you can put him in situations put or put a char any character in situations that it wouldn't normally be involved with. And I think that's what worked so well for me about Man of Steel because I like the idea of putting this character in a position where he has to make a decision. I mean, the pinnacle moment of the movie is General Zod shooting the, the lasers out at the, 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 the husband and wife and the kids. And, you know, you love these people and now you can mourn for them too. And he has to make a decision. And it's something that he would never necessarily do. And he kills General Zod. And it's like, it just totally blows your mind. But for me, like, that's the kind of shit that I like. It's because you are, you're humanizing this character. And for me, I want this character to be humanized. I want this character to be a little bit more in depth and a little bit more layered than I'm going to fly around and smile at the camera. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, let me hear your feedback on this. I guess it, it makes sense. I completely disagree, but I feel like Greg okay. should go next because I, I know he agrees yeah. with you about this. So maybe we should have like the I liked Man of Steel corner and then the the yeah. dissent. <laughs> so let me say, yeah, let's tie it back here, Greg. What do you agree with my analysis on this with Man of Steel, or if not, what are your reasons for defending the movie? Give me a five second recap because that was really long. Uh, sure. Basically, but the, so the analysis that I that I would pull on this is that I want my characters to be humanized. I like the idea of, okay. of these of these characters being dark. And again, because I like this movie so much with with uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman's, which are my favorite uh, Batman presentations of all time. Um, I prefer a darker uh, Superman. But what, what if you agree with that? Go ahead and say why. And if not, what are the reasons that you like it? I do agree with that. But first off. Uh... Conceptually, I don't agree with comparing these two Supermans because they are not in a vacuum. They were made at seriously different points in time in, in our history and with different uh, 
movies running up against them. So I don't think it's fair to compare the two. But I do, in all kind of storytelling aspects, enjoy flawed characters. I like it when people need to make hard decisions. I like it when they are torn between two different things. I like it when they are put in stressful situations and they don't have the answer. They don't know what to do. They don't know what is best. And they make the best decision for what they think it is. And he does. And apparently, you know, we see in the next movie, it has consequences. But, uh, yeah, no, that's that's one of the reasons why I liked Man of Steel as a movie by itself, not compared to the Christopher Reeves movies. Sure, I sure. liked it. Um, I like the Christopher Reeves movies for different reasons. I think it's a better story, but I also enjoyed the story of Man of Steel. I enjoyed I, the humaning aspect of watching his father die and his father saying, no, you need to, you know, not be known because you will scare people. You people won't know what to make of you. They will you know, demonize you or, uh, something like you're you're not normal you can't be right. known so right no sorry I, but you're I, gonna need to make a bad decision and her hard decision and let me go because shit happens dude and i think i want to tie back here real fast just to just to make sure we're, we're all on the same page i don't think this is necessarily about comparing and contrasting the two films like looking no, 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 at them yeah. on, you know it's just more about like can they exist together but you're right like it's the idea of um taking the characters to again like i said taking the characters to a place that you wouldn't normally you're giving them stakes you're giving us a reason you're giving me a reason to be invested in this character which i think going back and viewing the 78 superman in a in a 2020 lens and even as an adult i there's no stakes for me right you can't build this character without giving him a set of stakes and something to fight against Superman has to make the decision. Is he going to save these people or is he going to kill Zod? What is he, you know, or is he going to stand on his laurels rather? He's going to kill Zod or he's going to stand on his laurels and let these people die. What is he going to do? And he has to make a snap judgment. And in that second, he kills Zod. But those people, <laughs> snap yeah, judgment. Yeah, did you like what I did there? You like what I did there? In that second, he makes the decision to kill Zod, but the people die anyway. And now see, he has something to go against. See, this is the thing. I don't even think I necessarily disagree with Frank <clears throat> that like normally I like a character who is presented with more morally gray choices and is struggling a bit more. Like, I don't disagree with that. I just think that um, Man of Steel didn't do that particularly well for the character of Superman. And I walked away from that movie thinking, well, that was interesting, but that wasn't Superman. Like there's, I, I just think it went too far in in restructuring the very idea and foundation of the character because of some of the choices that the narrative made. Like I can't get over the Superman is fighting in the middle of Metropolis thing. Like it just doesn't. It, it bugs me so much. Like it just seems so out of character. I I don't even. I, again, I'm not I'm not uh, uninterested in there being a moral quandary for Superman to deal with that maybe is a little bit more complicated. I just do not think Man of Steel achieved that effectively. Um, and beyond I'm, that, the whole idea of like oh people will be afraid of you and to hide yourself is something that really um, rubbed me the wrong way because of the aspirational aspect of Superman as a character at the point of creation is that something that might scare people about you is actually something maybe you shouldn't hide and they might find um, uh, inspiring instead is is kind of if you're if you're not looking at it from that oh this is like a metaphor for America and Superman is just all like rah rah. 
America, if you're looking at it from the point of view of like, this is supposed to be a marginalized character who's reclaiming a part of, of themselves that has been, you know, forced to sort of, they have to hide in plain sight most of the time to then have the message and because that's been my interpretation of the character, but then have the message change to, no, you are scary and you do need to hide, uh, is really not what I would want out of that narrative. And I think this comes from my experiences. Um, you know, it, there's something about, uh, there's maybe a different interpretation or reflection on characters like this in communities like the Jewish American community or the queer community where there is that aspect of like kind of going stealth in public and hiding parts of your identity. And um, there's a relation there that's not happening necessarily for certain other viewers. And this gets back to the question of audience, like who's watching this and who's making the interpretations. So in part of what Ruth was saying in... I understand that people wanted or kind of are attracted to a, a little bit more dark or kind of a, a complex and being pulled in different directions character. That makes sense. I would still argue that that is there in the original Superman, especially the whole turning back time. Uh, and I can get into that a little bit more, but not having to compare it to Man of Steel. The biggest issue that I have is that Superman is a moral compass. And I understand that something, the Ruth highlighted it, the idea of somebody who is all powerful, but also all good is unnerving. And they do get that, but they don't show him as all good. They don't show that, that growth of the character and, and how his, his morality, especially being brought up as a human fits into that character so well. Um, it, it is it is a power fantasy for a marginalized person of being in complete absolute power and also genuinely being good and being looked up to that, you, you know, you are going about your life and inspiring people. I think the biggest thing that they missed with Superman is that Superman can question himself in the, in the sense of or question what is going on, but he's the moral compass of it. And the whole idea of Jonathan Kent telling him to hide himself fundamentally betrays that character. It, it really does because Jonathan Kent is supposed to be the moral compass and him dying in both films is the kickoff of what makes him go on this personal journey to find himself and what his purpose is supposed to be. He he's given all these powers and he needs to do something with it. That's what he's being told by his, his parents, both of them. Uh, you know, the Kryptonian ones and the human one. And, and you miss that journey. It is also really, really mind boggling to me that you, you're trying to, you're trying to sway the audience in the movie of showing Superman. And he's trying to say, well, no, you can trust me. You just can't control me. Okay. That part, I don't necessarily hate. Uh, it's the fact that he's doing nothing to, actually stand up for humanity he he gets into an all-out brawl in the middle of metropolis 
If you want to show that Superman, okay, but also show the Superman of trying to do the right thing, of why he would side with the humans, of, you know, blowing up rubble that might kill somebody, or sweeping people out of the way in case a building is falling. Like, he's Superman. He can do all these things. You just spent the first hour and a half of a movie showing how he can fly around the world in the blink of an eye and stop a world engine. I'm pretty sure that he's able to, you know, knock somebody out of the way or pick up a building from it crashing and falling on them. I understand that there needs to be consequences of what's going on with Zod, but it just, it, it really, I, I, I think you made a good action movie with Man of Steel, but not a Superman movie. It's not, it, but, like, but that, if, I, if I may, they, if, they, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, and they, then I'll go, yeah. They address that literally in the next movie. They address that in that movie. You shouldn't have to watch, you shouldn't have to watch the next movie to see something like what if I only watch Man of Steel and that's my you know like it should stand on its own it, you shouldn't need the, the so if you're franchise. saying that Superman is is raised as a human humans learn from their mistakes we don't inherently know what is right and wrong some situations we know what is inherently right and wrong I'm not saying all situations but he may not understand the power that he holds in his hands he understands that he can lift heavy rocks and swim really far and jump really high but he doesn't understand that but, i'm gonna but, kill people with this shit no because he's it, never it's, 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 but maybe see a man of steel as an adult who should have already learned some of that stuff like this is why and I, I like the it's for me if you want to do a modern take on superman it's a little bit more complex and, and is addressing like more nuance of the character smallville the tv show works way better to achieve yes. the same goal well wait Super, a second Here's, superman is a 33 year old man let me jump in here real fast. Let me jump in here real fast. Isn't that the point, though? I, I agree with Greg on this, because is if the point of this movie, if the point of Man of Steel is supposed to be the jumping point of the DC Universe franchise, isn't that the point of this movie is to go to the next movie, even and we are and we can all agree on the, right now that Batman versus Superman is the worst superhero movie that's ever been made. No, yes. it's not. the worst superhero movie ever been made. Did you see Suicide Squad? Okay, so the second worst. Okay, so we can agree. <laughs> we can agree it's, we're talking. We're talking bottom of the barrel drizzling but, shit. But here's but the thing. The you should, oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me finish. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. You shouldn't have to wait. bring it in. Well, I'm saying the like, point of the movie. The point of the movie is if we are going to be establishing a narrative, a long running narrative, which was the idea, right? The idea was to set this franchise up as a long lasting Marvel style universe. Isn't the point? wanting to bring people in you're trying to draw people into the next movie superman in 1978 stood on its own could be as a vacuum it could be a, a solo film or it could exist with the other three movies man of steel was purposefully created to establish the the, the sort of the guidelines and, and sort of the direction of where the movies were going to go and where the stories were going to to lead and, and I, I think that I think they nailed that point because going into Batman versus Superman, you get you get the knowledge of you know shit. There are consequences. This is what happened because he killed General Zod. This is but, what happened because Superman made those choices. And I think to me, it 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 hit that metric. I would argue that in fact that's an afterthought because the Man of Steel was not established as a way to get a franchise like uh, Iron Man was to begin with. It's looking at it through a past lens if you do want to actually go back and look at the superman that wanted to try and start the dc franchise it's superman returns 
that's what they were trying to do by also linking it into Batman Begins. And then they realized it's better to just have these things exist in their own world. And then once Marvel took off, and if Man of Steel was successful, they were going to build on an after the fact. If not, they were just going to leave it as a, a solo Superman movie. That's that's what happened with that. You shouldn't, and, and you should not be able to have to point to Batman versus Superman. A the good part of it of just the first five minutes of it. Um, yeah, honestly, that's about that's about it. We can agree that's pretty much about it as far as film wise. That's about as good as we're going to get there. But but also half of the criticisms that have been about Batman versus Superman is also the same criticisms that have been of man of steel is that it is not only betraying the character and it's slogging it down with all this other stuff. It also dips into Batman that way. If, if you like a dark and gritty and realistic and morally complicated character, then by all means, you should absolutely love Ben Affleck as Batman. You should love that movie. So I have to I have to just tie back one real quick thing here as far as what they're saying about Man of Steel and the DC Extended Universe is that initially before the Justice League movie was supposed to start, there was supposed to be a proper sequel to Man of Steel, which ended up becoming Batman versus Superman. And I have a humongous and we can we could probably do an entire episode on Batman versus Superman. But I think I don't I don't believe for a second that this movie was created to be and I'm not saying like I'm not being like, oh, fuck you, Jeff. But I'm just saying like I don't agree for I don't believe for a second that this movie was created to live in its own vacuum the way that Superman was. And that's not saying as a criticism towards the 78 film. I'm just saying when you when when the studios create movies like this, they're looking at it for long term uh, you know, capital gains, right? They're not looking at this movie and being like, oh, Man of Steel, we're just going to do one Superman and that's going to be it. Same way they didn't do it with Iron I, Man. They want to do it. To argue with back with you about that, Adam, though, to argue back with you about that, I think that um, with movies like this, the studios also recognize that if it's not financially viable, if it's a flop, they won't make more. So if I'm the person working on the movie, if I'm the writer or director, you have to be thinking about both eventualities when you're thinking about the story. A good story that is the beginning of a franchise has to to be able to stand on its own in case the franchise doesn't take off. I mean, that's why Iron Man was such a risk. And honest, and honestly, absolutely, that's why they, absolutely, yeah, I agree. That, that Iron Man was such a risk in that take, as well as the Incredible Hulk. And one of them turned out really well, and one of them didn't. And because yeah, why? Well, yeah, basically, every Marvel film stand ignores the Incredible Hulk, and not yeah. just I think because they recast uh, Bruce Banner. Which is a great decision, but I think that well, you know, even if they hadn't, people might still just completely write off that movie because it just doesn't work on so many fundamental levels, and it doesn't work as a standalone film. Every, yeah, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of criticism by having that. Yeah, yeah, every introductory character within the Marvel universe, everybody's forgetting it was a huge risk to be able to do that. Thor risk, Captain America risk, Avengers. There's a reason they cast. There's a reason they cast completely unknown actors for those roles and paid them pennies. Like we don't think and of them as, as being choice. that way now because uh, they they're the super famous now. Superman. Yeah. They did the same thing with Superman in that they did cast somebody who's relatively unknown with Henry Cavill. And it, it was supposed to exist in a vacuum unless it was financially successful. It was. And honestly, the only reason that Nolan went on to the project was to kind of help and see, is this going to be something viable? Because they wanted to do it with Batman. They wanted him to come right. back with another Batman movie. Side well, note, Cavill is way better as Girls of Rivia. Like, I did, I respect him so much more as an actor now, having watched The Witcher. I loved him in that. It's just a better he, character for him, I think. Or he had a better direction or something. I will also uh, say that I think that Cavill is a very boring Superman. Like, it's just, and, and, and 
I don't, and I think it's interesting that you brought up The Witcher because like at first I was like, this actor is terrible. Like he's making the same face for everything, but then you see The Witcher and like, holy crap, actually he can't act. It's just, this is well, bad direction. This is bad direction of this character for him. And it's actually, I'm glad that you kind of brought that up because that brings me into another point. As far as Cavill goes, I would argue that Christopher Reeve is just kind of as boring as Superman. I don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do with direction or even script as much as I would say it's the character, the character no, in I, and of himself. I, mean, I, mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. Though. Like, yeah. you, you're brought, like he's, a, he's an, he has an innate charisma. But I see, I don't, I don't I, see. I, I disagree there, uh, but I, I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest criticisms of Man of Steel, and I, I kind of wanted to tie this back into a General Zata conversation, was the fact that they're saying that the um, that there was a a lack of character development in Man of Steel. I could argue that there was a lack of character development with General Zod in in the original Superman. I, I didn't. There, what was I don't. I guess I didn't quite understand the point of General Zod uh, in the original yeah, movie. In the, ori- so in the, the original, first- what was the point? And the- I think that you could you could argue. Anyone really could argue that the point of it's like if this if this movie is created to be a standalone flick, seventy eight. What the fuck's the point of even having General Zod as the character in here, other than to just literally roll out every single backstory piece of Superman as a character instead of just diving right into the movie? Which, again, as my is sort of my retrospective view on this is that it just slogs on. It's like the first hour of the movie, and there's a scene that goes on for like it feels like twenty minutes where Russell or um yeah Jesus Christ Russell Crowe Marlon Brando is just talking in space, and there's these things flying, and they're talking about the human heart, and it's like. Why are we doing this? Could could it, it's like because it's, it's the, because it's the seventies, Adam. Like I, I hate to say it, but I think that's like a seventies sensibility thing that just does not translate right. to modern filmmaking. It really like, I don't even necessarily really disagree that it's kind of boring and underdeveloped. But when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is like pure nineteen seventies cheese. It's just yeah. schlock. Yeah, it's just schlock. Yeah, it's the it's the building off of the. 2001 space odyssey weirdness and just kind of like acid trip i have no idea what's happening but visually it's supposed to be beautiful and i'm glad you brought up zod for the richard donner issue because richard donner's original film was supposed to be between four and a half and five hours long superman one and two were supposed to be one movie that's right. I did know that. I did know that they, because that's the why they. That's why the end of the movie is set up where he's flying into the space, and that's why you know with the sun and all that shit at the end of the movie, it's literally tying back into number two that was happening. Right. Yeah. That, that like that's the way it was originally written and proposed, and the studio's like, you're not making a four and a half hour long movie. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're just not doing that. In the same way that for you know Zack Snyder's uh, Watchmen. Uh, was supposed to be a right. lot longer, and to a degree, Batman versus Superman. The studio is saying, "Hell no, you're not doing that." So can we can we agree on something real fast though that that Lawrence Fishburne is the quintessential Perry White? No, I love him. <laughs> I loved him. Yeah, in he, this role. Here's, the, here's the thing. Loved here's him. the thing, uh, Adam. Is I think that you know with with Man of Steel. Interestingly, I feel like we're not even disagreeing very much about the '78 Superman. We have different reactions. I don't think so either. We all seem to like you know, be putting it contextually and all that. Maybe we're all just a little bit too close to Man of Steel and we might be in a place where we're going to, we're reaching and agree to disagree because we're just coming at the film from really different perspectives. Um, This is the, this is the intended audience thing again, maybe like, I I think that Man of Steel, like I let go of the fact that I disliked it pretty quickly uh, because it just clearly was not for me as a viewer. Like I was not the person that the creators of that film we're intending to make that movie for, you know? 
And I think I think the same argument could be made for the the Nolan films too. I think that same argument could be made for the Batman Nolan films because I feel like oh, yeah. I feel like as much as I loved those movies for so many reasons, I feel like that was a very specific audience that he was trying to target to. And you get that impression with Superman. And I think the reason like Jeff, I think Jeff or, or Ruth had mentioned at some point was the fact that they brought Christopher Nolan in to do this movie because they wanted to create Superman like Batman. Yeah, and, and I, I, think I think that's, that's exactly what he the made problem that. is. And I think if you if you if you look at it on the the superficial fundamental baseline, I mean, you know, mission accomplished. But um, I I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed Man of Steel. I think again, looking at it in in the context of the larger DC universe, I, I would put this well above any of the Justice League movies. At, you know, under obviously Wonder Woman because I feel like that's been the best offering so far. Definitely above Aquaman. Um, I, I, th- I, but I think Ruth is right. I think maybe if we should revisit this movie in, in like 10 years and see exactly where we would be at this point, maybe we would view it as a step in, in the, the sort of the, the, the lens of the 78 movie. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, making the idea of, of the lack of character development, I think the entire story is just about this, the, 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 um, coming to age of Superman. You know, that's, that's what the story of man of steel is about. It's not about the backstory of, of, of John or, you know, Jonathan and Martha Kent. It's not about the backstory of anything else. It's literally just about Superman finding out who he is. So I think that's, I think to me, that's kind of an unfair comparison or an unfair criticism in some respects. I wish they would have fleshed out the Lois Lane storyline a little bit more, to be honest with you. I wish they would have kind of fine tuned that a little bit, but I, I, you know, again, how long can a movie be? So, um, uh, I don't know. I think, I just, I think I, that yeah. you're, I think that you're missing something in that the 78 Superman does the exact same thing with the what is Superman. He is coming to terms and he is discovering himself and he is figuring out who he is. That's all in 78. Whether you have to slog through it or not, which again that's a 70 effect, and you may have a point of being able to revisit it. But I honestly think the biggest problem with Man of Steel and Adam, you're going to get really mad at me, is the Nolan effect. Um, it really just does not translate well for that character. It works really good with Batman because Batman. Batman's already dark, right? Yeah, I mean, you know what? But I don't. Well, it's I don't not. It's not. It's, you, not yeah. a, it's not necessarily a matter of dark. It's a matter of realism because Nolan is right. a realistic director. Something like Superman, you do need to have a suspension of disbelief. And the whole aspect, right. the thing that bothers me the most about Nolan, even in the Batman movies, is treating your audience like an idiot. You don't need to explain everything. Like, oh, well, Batman. Man has a tank and that's why the Batmobile exists. Oh, well, the Fortress of Solitude is actually just a birthing chamber and this entire suit is the traditional garb that's going to... It's like, you can just have a Superman suit and like, he has... You know what? He stole a spaceship. Like, that could literally... If I may, yeah, you don't need if I may, to ground it all. Just don't. If I may, if I may, you're saying that that Nolan, as a rebuttal here, Nolan is treating the audience like, like idiots, explaining everything. Isn't that the entire first hour and a half of the Superman movie from 1978 is Richard Donner explaining every detail of Superman? That is the detail of every superhero movie, even Spider-Man movies. We need to explain where he gets the suit from. Rightfully so. How does a 16-year-old kid get that awesome spandex suit? In the Tobey Maguire one, he's wearing, you know, a sweatsuit that he colored in with a fucking Sharpie. Like, Everybody explains where the suit comes from. If they didn't explain where the suit comes from, then people would just say, like, oh, how'd he get that suit? 
Right. But that's right. what I loved about Spider-Man Homecoming. With Spider-Man Homecoming, yeah, they explain the suit, but they do not explain how he gets the spider powers, and they don't do the Uncle Ben thing. And you know what? I was relieved. I was like, I do not yes. want to watch that again. Yes. I am Absolutely. fine with just knowing that he's Spider-Man. He is enough of a Absolutely. big character. You know. Here's the thing. To, I agree. That's that. what I to want. The defi- to the movies, defense of the origin go. story. Just go. To just jump in. 16 origin stories of Spider-Man in the past 10 yep. fucking years. Just fucking go. I don't want to hear it. I don't okay, want to know about but it. But when was the last Superman movie? Exactly. No, we, we need origin stories when you need them. But we did not need them for Spider-Man. They did not do it. And thank I'm you. Not, uh, yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> that your argument isn't valid there. But the, the whole shitting on origin stories completely of things being redone, like, yeah, the audience can grow tired of it. But the last, you know, the last Superman origin story that we had was 1978. And then we jump ahead to, two th- to 2013. Even Superman Returns is supposed to be somewhere in between 1978 and Superman 2. Well, maybe that's the reason why Man of Steel, in your opinion, wasn't that good. But then Into the Spider-Verse is that good, and Homecoming is that good, because we have perfected it in the past 10 years of trial and error. And we have the the formula. I think the reason (laughs) that Man of Steel just doesn't work is because you're taking a fundamentally impossible character and trying to ground it in realism. That's really the the biggest hit against Man of Steel. Besides, like you know, the whole completely betraying the morality of Superman, like which again, if you, and my argument would be like, if you want a you know, if you want a dark and broody and like you know, you know, mopey Superman, just watch Batman instead, because like you'll get that there. Sure. So I have, I have a couple of that, uh, can, we, can we all agree that Into the Spider-Verse is the best superhero movie ever made? Because I feel like that's, of course. you know, yeah, okay. Yeah. 100%. I, it's, it's the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I don't think I would say it's the best Spider-Man. Movie. I would agree with you. Uh, Ruth, I don't think it's the best. Ruth, See, I've never brought this bozos, up on this. Uh, they're, they're wrong. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. I, I've never brought this up on this podcast <laughs> and we do not need to get into it because I am willing to just let it go. But Adam bumped on something, which is that if um, you don't like the grim, dark superhero thing, or like the grounded in realism thing, the Nolan style superhero movies, you might not like the Nolan Batman's either. I don't particularly like the Nolan Batman's. I, I get that they're like a lot of I'm, people. The rest of you all really love those movies, and that's fine. They are not for me. <laughs> but that's fair. That's fair. It's sort of in the end to tie it back to the beginning of the episode. It's the it's the idea like the bridesmaids. Like is is Doctor Ruth the intended audience of that movie? Is the dark and, you know, Batman it's supposed to be that masculine, you know, muscular fantasy story, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's a good question. It's a very, it's an excellent question. It, it means I, think also- I don't even think I am the intended audience of Bridesmaids because I think that the intended audience is a much more sort of normative um, idea of uh, uh, a, a, cis- a cisgender heterosexual woman. But I also right. was able to relate to it a bit more because of my proximity to those things. But I, I think I, you know, I, I really do. I think it's, it's, it's specific audiences for specific things and, and some people will enjoy them and, and, and some people won't. But I, I, to me, the best superhero film that's ever been made. Um, and again, I, you know, I agree that Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man, but I feel like the best superhero movie that's ever been made is The Dark Knight, like without question. Jeff, what would be yours? Uh, the best superhero movie ever made? Um, yes. See, I, I focus more on characters. I think that the the most credible like i think the best superhero film 
is absolutely The Dark Knight. Um, Agreed. That being, that being yeah. said, I think the best superhero movie ever made right now is Endgame. I could I could see a uh, valid argument for that as well. But you know, so, the intended audience thing makes me think of like, and we don't need to get into this necessarily, but if people are aware of the controversy around um, the release of The Last of Us 2, where so many people so loudly hated it, um, and I think for reasons that had to do with kind of uh, aggressively reacting to the fact that maybe they weren't the intended audience for this and they thought they were going to be. Like the reaction to that that game that is um, frankly like sexist and homophobic and, and, and violently so. If you look at all the death threats uh, uh, Laura Bailey, one of the actresses, was oh, getting yep. for her portrayal of that character. Um, right, right. I'm not going to spoil anything. She wasn't even the one who wrote uh, yeah, spoiler. Who right. wrote yeah. the death of the main guy? No, 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 no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, so yeah. but, you know, no, not spoiling anything, but the, oh, the, the really the really aggressive reaction, I think, it comes down to it's not that oh the game sucks, this is trash, they ruined it. And it's like, no, they didn't. You just didn't like it. And like there needs to be a better understanding. I just really I think there's a problem sometimes with pop culture and how people consume it that 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 medium step of uh between you know, I didn't like this and therefore the people who made it are irredeemable trash that I must destroy. Like there's never a consideration there. There's this, this harmful thing where there's no consideration in between of like, Oh, maybe this just isn't for me. Yeah. Like maybe it's not the thing that you thought it was. Um, get over it. Right. Plenty yeah, of and it's, like, it's totally fine there. to dislike something. I ended up uh, noping out of Game of Thrones when it got too sexually violent for me uh, a couple seasons in and just never even watched the last like four or five seasons of that show. I don't spend all of my time moaning about how much I hate Game of Thrones and how terrible it was. I barely think about it, you know, like <laughs> that seems better, like a better decision. <laughs> here's a fun uh, here's a fun story about Marlon Brando that I just wanted to share with you guys while we, wrote, as we start to wrap this up. Well, besides that, <laughs> when he met when he originally met with Richard Donner and the producers of the movie, he actually told them that he would prefer Jor-El to show up as a green suitcase or as a bagel using Marlon Brando's voice. And I thought that might be the funniest thing in the entire world. And the most, the, most Brando shit, the most Brando shit that I've ever heard in my life. That's the most amazing idea, and they should have gone with it. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Green suitcase. a suitcase or a bagel. Who is, it's so, it's who is so specific. Man is this? Not just a suitcase, a green suitcase. That's yeah. amazing. Like it's so specific. Like I know that hat that can't be bullshit. But here's another fun fact about 1978 Superman that I wanted to share with you. Um, so initially, cool. DC, the DC comics had a, a list of people that they wanted to be Superman, and that list included Al Pacino, mm-hmm. James Bond, <laughs> mm-hmm. Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood. Dustin Hoffman, and perhaps the most surprising, Muhammad Ali. I thought that, that was would have been really interesting. That's fascinating. I would, I would have loved to see that because then at some point I would also want Muhammad Ali to play himself and they could just have a picture shot of Muhammad Ali oh, yeah. as Superman. Uh, like the I comic, think, like a very famous I comic. Mean, if if you want to go back and look at some really interesting casting choices, look at who they want who the studio wanted for 89 Batman. It's like you know, not like ridiculous, but it's like, okay, none of these choices like make too much sense for like looking at it as like the nerd aspect and the character, but also the casting of Keaton caused huge controversy. Um, 
I, th- I guess the the one thing that I want to tie back to briefly is, you know what? Yes, you can live in a world and and know something isn't intended for you. So yes, was Man of Steel intended for me? Probably not. But I would also say it wasn't intended for a larger audience because at the end of the day, like they dropped Superman after that idea of Superman after Batman versus Superman. It didn't work. And they tried to like really, you know, you know, push it home. And it just, it wasn't as well received by the audiences. So, and I would agree with that. I think, you know, there is an element to which wide audience reaction uh, can end up sort of coming through after the initial sort of, to go back to the last of us thing, several weeks into the outrage of, Oh, fuck this game. You right. know, now we're getting this of like, Oh, this game's amazing. I love it so much. A lot more flooding of that online because those are the people who actually played it and yep. are, are forming their own opinions and aren't just knee jerk hating something they heard about it. Right. And so Before it was know, even released. There was reviews saying it's garbage because they right. did this one thing and it's, it's yeah. trash. And yeah. Same and, thing. Same thing happened with captain Marvel. Same thing happened yep. with uh, wonder yep. woman, you know, yeah, the last Jedi the further this, away this you goes get, back to a sexism thing. Yeah. Well, and the further away you get from the release of something, I think the more you get an actual sense of what the, um, the public opinion, the popular, the popular opinion about it is. And that probably goes back to, yeah, maybe the popular opinion about Man of Steel Superman was most people didn't like it because it, you know, frankly, it didn't have a lot of cultural staying power. And I'm sure that there are people who forgot that that was a movie. You know, like it doesn't, it sure, doesn't, sure, um, sure. it didn't stay in the zeitgeist the way a lot of other superhero movies have. Like we've been talking about the Nolan Batmans. Everyone remembers those. They stayed in the zeitgeist. And, uh, and to, and to a degree, same with 78. Everybody remembers the 78 version of Superman. It has, it does have a cultural zeitgeist to it. And, and I'm not saying that this is a good or a bad thing, but it is a good point. And I also think it's really interesting of this whole aspect of giving it time. I think using the last of us as an example is a little bit more unique because it takes time to play a video game. Like it makes sense that after a couple of weeks, people are going to be like, actually, this is good. So I want to I want to just tie the show back together here real fast and kind of answer the question: Can the Superman film from 1978 and Man of Steel coexist together in harmony in the same world? Can it happen? In like on the same timeline? No, no just in general. I mean, can you enjoy oh. the 1978 and, film and, and one enjoy person like both movies? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I can, do too. Can like two things. I don't. Yeah, I think I think you're liking them for very fundamentally different reasons, right? I like Man of Steel because punch, punch, boom, boom. I like Christopher Reeve because good acting. Right. I'm saying, can you? Can you? I guess the the better question is the more the the the, the deeper question on the next level would be: Could you live in a world where you can enjoy both performances as a, bo- bo- both portrayals of Superman, the 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 light and the dark, if you will? Can as you enjoy as, both? As of long those? as they stop doing the Christ parable, yes. Because he's not a Christ parable. Like it's just it's fundamentally insulting as a Jew to just constantly well, have a Jewish character be made Jesus. So w- is that not the most Gentile thing ever? Just to see everything right. like quote unquote good as Gentile. True. Yes, I, I mean, just you you know, as my uh, representatives in the Gentile Congress, as your <laughs> Jewish Congress, like, I need you to go to your Gentile congressmen and tell them you what know we what? do. You know yeah. what? Just just leave Superman out of Christianity. Not, like he's I'm Jewish. Not <laughs> Jewish. Accept it. And yep. move I'm on. Not, I'm not Gentile saying you're wrong. Congress. I'm just saying like 
Ain't that the most Gentile thing that we do? Seriously. I mean, it's not it's not surprising. That's when when Adam brought up that people use it as a Jesus parable. I was like, what? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. And I said I was kind of baffled and I walked it back and I'm like, no, no, I'm not surprised. Thinking about it a bit more. Of course, people did yep. that. But sure again, there's, some, like I, there's, some, like I, there's some white people out there that thought like marble rye was like a really homegrown right. apple pie Gentile bullshit thing. Like, no, that's pretty Jewish. Like, it's delicious, yeah. but it's pretty Jewish. Like, what the and hell's like, wrong with you? Like I said, without that, without having that context of of the you know sort of the the more um, the Jewish allegories to the to the character itself, like somebody like me who wouldn't have seen that and gone as deep as as Jeff would have. I would have seen it on as as that very superficial fundamental like yeah I mean that makes sense you know in a vacuum just looking at it and, and I'm glad that you were you brought that up to sort of help me get a little bit deeper and and look a little bit deeper into the character instead of where I was kind of just sitting uh, you know on, on the top of the pops there but um I would say w- one last just thing needs before to start saying up up and oy vey before he takes off into space uh, I, 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 <laughs> that would make it really apparent I would make it very like very very right there in my face but I want to just ask one more quick question here real fast uh, uh, before we wrap it up, and I will, we'll go around the table here and we'll answer this. Um, better General Zod, Michael Shannon, or Terrence Stamp? Terrence Stamp. Ruth? Terrence Stamp. Greg? Michael Sharon. Yeah, I'm going with Shannon on this one. I yeah, I just again yeah, yeah I would say yeah. I would say Shannon. I mean that was predictive. That was a predictable series of answers. Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was very predictable. How did you feel about Kevin? All, all, all right, all right, all right. Hold on, if I may. Um, sure. Better, better Lex Luthor. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg or Gene Hackman? Oh my God, that's not even Gene a, is Hackman. That a, is that a real question? Is that a real yeah, question? Gene Hackman. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> did you fall down and hit your head while you were going to turn the brisket? Uh, no, oh, I got to turn the brisket. But am I? I, I, I just. Oh, I, 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 am am, am I a joke to you? Am I a yeah. joke to you? <laughs> as the title, I, I, as I, you I insult me sure. like this, I just to, to, to make sure. To to paraphrase the title, to paraphrase the title of that book, Oy vey. That was the worst. <laughs> Why would you ask that question? And I and we can get we can do an entire episode on on Batman versus Superman. But I I I feel like really do I feel like the DC universe just fell apart when they decided that they were going to, you know, in basically make General Zod doomsday. I just was like, I'm, I'm done. I walked away. I was done. <laughs> I was out. I was like, this is I, not right. This I'm even, still, this and this would need to be, this would be, need to be a whole other episode. I'm still so, like, it's still so shocking to me that we went from the, you know, maybe the 90s or even before that, for the, the majority of the history of superheroes being part of American pop culture. We, we went so quickly from the ones everyone recognized and being most familiar with being Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman to these like way lesser known comparatively Marvel heroes like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor because right. of decisions made about movie franchises and how much the DC studios just utterly shot the bed. Like, it's, it's amazing totally. to me that how quickly that turnaround happened with like people's pop culture knowledge of superheroes. It, it feels like it was overnight. Like I know it took longer, but it's right, just, right. it's, it's wild that that happened. And it is, it is fascinating. I love living of, in a world where people know more superheroes. So go ahead, Greg, last, go back to Greg, final thought. Go, ahead. go back to Adam's question of favorite superhero movie, but also just favorite superhero. Cause I know Jeff, uh, works in a comic store. Um, so he may need more time on this question. So Jeff, you're last. Um, <laughs> okay. Adam, f- favorite superhero movie 
or favorite, comic or both. Favorite super favorite super. Well, well, my favorite superhero movie is like we said, it was The Dark Knight. But I would say if we're gonna be, if we're gonna shape this and say favorite superhero of all time, favorite actual superhero would be Batman. Since the time I was a kid, <laughs> Batman. Oh man, I have so many. I hate picking favorites. Um. <laughs> oh boy. Favorite right now then. Right now, um, well, the only comic I am currently pulling is uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. The only superhero comic. I'm pulling a bunch of other stuff, but it's all uh, indie stuff. Greg, what about you? Uh, I would have to go with Batman Beyond, just because I like that Bruce Wayne was old and he was the Alfred type character. I know it's not a movie, but it's it's you know, it's a comic. What about your favorite superhero, though? Favorite superhero, I think conceptually would be Doctor Strange. Good choice. Solid I choice. Just, I think it's yeah. just a cool character. The, I, 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 Batman. It's it's not it's not a hard question out of me. Ruth knows this. True. That's why I, that's why I thought it was yeah. really funny. Of like, let's let Jeff go last because it'll. Oh, take I thought that long. was a joke. <laughs> 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 no, uh, Batman's my favorite superhero. My favorite, like. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been my favorite since I was a kid. My favorite Batman comic is uh, actually Long Halloween. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Nice. Um, so if we would, I would definitely implore anybody, you know, listening to the episode, go out of your way, check out Superman 1978, and then go check out Man of Steel. Take some time because you're going to need at least six hours to watch both movies. Um, and then let us know what you think. Drop some comments uh, on our, uh, you know, our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram at underscore at foundation underscore radio. Let us know what you think because I really want to continue this conversation. And maybe we'll continue to explore these movies. Maybe we'll uh, make this a thing for a little bit while we're uh, while we're doing quarantine shows. We'll start really exploring. Maybe we'll do the Nolan trilogy next. Maybe we'll do Endgame. I don't know. We'll we'll yeah. Pandemic becomes uh, the gang. Um, the gang disagrees about movies politely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, Fuck I don't. You, I yeah. yield my time. <laughs> Fuck you, I yield my time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again this week. I really appreciate it. And uh, Jeffrey, enjoy thanks. your brisket. And I will. Uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. All right. I'll see you guys later. My mouth. Don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to wear a mask. Please, for the love of God, don't be fucking stupid. Wear your masks. You're not Superman. Corona will kill you. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod and find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.